Well, I'm, I'm so glad you're here. It's going to be a great day uh, for several reasons. It's week three in the series, uh, Jesus Is, whether you're curious, skeptical about Jesus, entering a relationship with him for the first time, or maybe you've followed him for decades. There's always more that we can learn about the depth of his character and the impact of his life. And the goal, but the goal of this series is not just to you know, learn more about Jesus, but to grow our relationship, our personal relationship uh, with him. And uh, today's going to be a great day. It is a, a baptism weekend at uh, River Glen, and uh, we've had over 30 people uh, 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 sign up for, for baptism. Uh, we baptized uh, nine people last night. I don't know how many. I didn't get a count for last service. We baptized a bunch of people uh, last service, and uh, we're really excited about that. But I believe that some people in the room here today, here in Waukesha, over in, in Pewaukee, are also, maybe you didn't come planning to, but you're also going to participate in the uh, baptism. Uh, we'll talk more about that later. We are ready for you. We got a baptistry. It's all filled up. It's heated up over there. We got great changing space uh, backstage, and uh, we'll get into that more a little bit uh, later on. I want to begin uh, by taking a trip back in time. For some of us, short trip. For others of us, a longer trip. I want to go back to your high school. Yeah, to the cafeteria. Remember the cafeteria in high school? I don't know about your school. When I was in high school, there was like an unpublished, unspoken seating chart. In the uh, cafeteria, yeah, you had the uh, athletes' table, the jocks, and uh, sometimes cheerleaders would hang out there, and they're drinking their protein, you know, shakes and bench pressing each other, that sort of thing. The theater people, stage crew, people acting in the place, maybe they're rehearsing the lines for the next play, and then the band, the orchestra, they had a table, uh, the math club had a table. They were always going off on tangents all the time at the. <laughs> math club table, really smart people table, we had a mean word for them, the nerd table. These people now supervise the people who at the other, sat at the other tables. And then uh, my favorite one, those who refuse to be labeled, you just transcend all the other uh, categories. That's not an exhaustive list, but now that we've refreshed our mind a little bit, quick show of hands. How many of you remember your table, you remember what group you were a part of in high school? Show of hands. Oh yeah, a bunch of you. How many of you would like to just forget that whole experience? Yeah, nothing like a high school cafeteria to make you wonder, you know, how do you fit into the rest of the world? Uh, I, I assume when I, when I uh, became an adult that that uh, unpublished seating chart, that cafeteria seating chart, it would just disappear. But as adults, how many of us have had the experience of walking into a room where there's a meal and you don't know anybody, right, and you feel this panic, this anxiety, you muster up your courage and you walk up to a table and say, can I sit here? And the person says, no, this is safe for friends, Truth is, there's often, even for adults, an unspoken seating chart. Tables tell us who's included, who's not included. Everybody needs a table where we belong. Well, did you know they had tables back in Jesus' day? Today, as we continue, Jesus says, we're going to talk about how Jesus is your friend. I know that might sound trite, might sound cliche, but hang with me because Jesus being your friend is a deep theological reality that changes Everything. If you study the life of Jesus, you know that he loved to eat with people. One author said he ate his way through the Gospels. It's recorded that he attended eight dinner, eight different dinners. He had three dinners, three dinner invitations with family and friends, and then five with misfits and social outcasts. And uh, here's a story about one of those five dinners told by a Jesus follower named Matthew. It's kind of interesting that Matthew's not just a storyteller, he is in the story. And it's recorded in his gospel in the ninth chapter. It says, as, uh, as Jesus went from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the 
tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, as we read that, there's already two tables that emerge in this uh, story. And, uh, you know, I'm going to go ahead and call this uh, first table the sinner's table because tax collectors and sinners sit here according to Matthew. Now, I want you to understand how they viewed tax collectors in the first century because when you hear the phrase tax collector, your first thought is probably an IRS agent. But get that out of your mind because tax collectors in the first century were far different than IRS agents. Uh, Think of it this way. Imagine that you have a neighbor who steals packages off your porch and porches of people in the neighborhood and sells those items on eBay. Or even worse, breaks into your house and steals uh, valuable items and then pawns them at a local pawn shop. And everybody knows that he does this, but nobody can seem to find a way to stop him. How would you feel about that guy? Well, that's how people in the first century felt about tax collectors. Actually, they viewed tax collectors worse than package stealing house-robbing thieves, because Jewish tax collectors worked for the hated Roman government. Try to imagine this, all right? You got to let your imagination run a little bit on this example, but imagine a foreign country conquered the United States, like like the the, the Roman Empire conquered Judea. A, A foreign country conquers the United States, and let's say this foreign country started taxing us, but they had difficulty collecting the taxes, And so they hired Americans to work as tax collectors. And this foreign country provided soldiers to help the tax collectors force us to pay our taxes. And on top of that, these tax collectors overcharged us and pocketed the uh, extra. That's how the Jews viewed tax collectors. They viewed them as traitors, as greedy, dishonest. They were like the scum of the earth. So would you want to have a tax collector over for dinner? Or would you want to, you know, go over to a tax collector's house? Probably not. But Jesus sits at a table and eats dinner with, a tax, with tax collectors and uh, uh, sinners. And because Matthew worked as a, as, a, as a tax collector before he started following Jesus, he seems to know that he and his friends belong at, the, at his table. And, it, and it's not a surprise that no one else in the community wants to sit at, at that table, especially those at the uh, other uh, table. And I'm just going to call this, for lack of a better word, I'm going to call this the uh, saints' uh, table because the uh, Pharisees sat at uh, this uh, table. And while tax collectors, they seem to know that they're sinners, okay, the Pharisees think they're saints. They weren't actually saints. They just thought that they were. Pharisees considered themselves experts in religious law and rules. They viewed sin as external behavior. And so they came up with hundreds and hundreds of additional rules on top of God's commands, and they followed them. And they looked down. They, they thought so highly of themselves. They looked down at everybody else, and they loved to point out the faults and sins of others. In their attempt to hate sin, they ended up hating sinners. And the best way to deal with people who don't measure up in, in, in their mind, sit at another table. 
Don't even associate with them. And so it, it makes sense when they see Jesus sitting at a table with tax collectors and sinners, the scum of the earth. They feel absolutely puzzled. You know, one reason is because they tended to view eating a little differently than we do. You know, in our culture today, we've got fast food, we've got drive throughs and microwave ovens. Back in the first century, they considered eating more of a central part of life, more of a relational experience. And so if you shared a table and ate with someone, that's the equivalent of saying, I'd like to be friends with you. And so the Pharisees asked the disciples one of the most frequently asked questions about Jesus, and that is, why does he sit and eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why, when given the choice of either table, does Jesus always eat at that table? Because of their self-righteousness, the Pharisees didn't understand Jesus. But before we judge the Pharisees too harshly, is it possible, even in a small way, that at times we act like Pharisees? See, the story in Matthew 9, I think it exposes a tendency that, that we have to create an arbitrary sin scale. And I'm going to call this the, the badness uh, scale. And, you know, on this, uh, on this uh, sin scale, okay, over here, we've got the really little sins, the small sins, you know, speeding, uh, telling white lies, uh, cheering for the St. Louis Cardinals uh, baseball team. And then you get over here into the, uh, the, 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 the small, uh, the medium-sized sins. And uh, they're not, sure, they're not the small ones, but we don't really uh, worry about these a whole lot because we don't think they hurt anybody, so we don't take these very seriously. But when we cross over here and we get into the uh, medium to large uh, sins, these get our attention because we question a person's uh, character. But, but these are not the, the big ones over here. Okay, these are the supersized sins. Over here, and uh, most of us know, know enough to avoid these ones uh, over, over here. But here's the real danger. Not only do we categorize sins on this scale, you know what else we tend to do? We categorize people on it. Um, over here, on, on this end, uh, we have uh, what I'm going to call really good people over here on this end. You know, uh, this is where Mother Teresa sits, okay? Uh, you know, most of us don't, don't see ourselves sitting at this table. We don't, we don't worry about it because this is where, you know, Billy Graham would sit, the Pope, uh, Joe LaBurge, okay, people like that on this end over here. And then over here, uh, we've got uh, those people. And this is where we would put some of the worst people in all of history. But I think we also know some people personally that we would assign to this table. You know, the package dealing neighbor. The dishonest coworker or business partner, the neighbor who spews hate, the friend who betrayed us. But more importantly, where would you put yourself on the badness uh, scale? You know, some of us, I think, might put us over here at those people uh, table. Maybe some of us, maybe a few of us take pride in uh, being a little rebellious. Maybe, maybe some of us have a past. Maybe we've got regrets. Uh, from our past, and, and we think we would belong here. I don't think very many of us would put ourselves at the table next to Mother Teresa over, over there. I think many of us uh, would probably put ourselves somewhere about right here. You know, yeah, sure, we're not, we're not, uh, we, we don't commit the big sins like those people over, over there. And, you know, we're not perfect either, we'll admit that. Uh, I think what we would, we would probably say is that, okay, I mess up from time to time. And, uh, you know, maybe a, a little greed, a hint of, of gossip, a little bit of, of pride. We would say, I'm basically a good person. I think that's where many of us would probably 
uh, put ourselves. And if we mess up and we take a step on the scale in this direction, here's what we have a tendency to do. We compensate for it by doing something good. You know, it's like when you eat a Big Mac and then you go for a one-mile run and, and you feel a little bit better. Yeah, maybe in the morning you yell at your kids and you feel really guilty about it all day long. And so after dinner, you take them out for ice cream and, you, and it makes you feel better. Or maybe you do something bad and so you go to church or you volunteer at your kid's school or you make a promise. I'm not going to swear at all today and it, and it makes you feel better. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. The badness scale is man-made. God doesn't have a badness uh, scale because God doesn't view sin as just external behavior. God views sin as much more than breaking rules. Think about it. Nobody just randomly commits murder, adultery, or stealing. It begins in our heart with anger, lust, envy. All of us have a heart problem that leads to sin. And that's why in his letter to the Romans, Paul warns us, there's no one righteous, not even one. Everyone has a heart problem. And all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us has sinned because we have a heart problem. And that's why from God's perspective, there's no sliding scale. There's no badness scale. From God's perspective, there's really only two categories. God sees Jesus. That's one category. And then the other category that God sees is everybody everybody else. That's how God sees it, Jesus and everyone else. And I think the real caution in this story is for those of us who think that we're righteous, those of us who think we're good or even okay on the badness scale, because the danger is we can miss out on a relationship with Jesus. Arthur Judah Smith puts it this way, the reality for many people, the greatest hindrance to receiving the grace of God is not their scandalous sins, it's their empty good deeds. That's why when Jesus grabbed a tray and he walked into that cafeteria in the first century, he chose to sit at the sinner's table. He chose to be with the liars and the thieves and the gossips and the drunks. He sat next to the gluttons and the prostitutes and the cheaters and the screw-ups. Jesus sat down with people who knew they were sinners. And I think he did it. Here's why I think he did it. Because he knew that these were the ones who were ready and willing to welcome him. You see, Jesus' friendship is not based upon merit but mercy. It has nothing to do with our worthiness or unworthiness. It's not something that we can earn or achieve. It is all about his kindness, his love, and grace. That's why Pastor Andy Stanley says that people who are nothing like Jesus, like Jesus, the tax collectors, I mean, the scum of the earth, they felt like they could talk to Jesus. They could hang out with Jesus and table with him because Jesus genuinely loves people, all people. He wants to be your friend. He wants to have a relationship uh, with you. Paul reminds us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He sees our sin. He's not oblivious to it. Our sin is the reason that he came because every person on the badness scale, the really good people, or the really good people and those people and everyone in between is a sinner. We're all sinners, but here's the good news. Jesus is a friend of sinners. And that truth leads to an invitation and a challenge. Here's the invitation, the most important thing that I need to say to you today. You belong at Jesus' table. Maybe you've never realized how much Jesus wants a relationship with you. Maybe you've understood Christianity as a, a set of rules. 
you know, a religious code, external rule keeping. And you never understood that following Jesus means that you begin a relationship with him. You begin a friendship with him where he begins to, to change your heart and change your life. And if you've never decided to receive his friendship, maybe today is the day that you make that decision. And there's no better way to mark that decision in your life than by getting uh, baptized. Baptism is a marker event in the life of every person who decides to follow Jesus. Where We put a stake in the ground and we declare, I'm starting a new life as a Jesus follower. In baptism, we unite with Jesus by reenacting his death, his burial, and resurrection. When we go under the water, we die to that old self, that old way of living. When we come up out of the water, we live a new life following him. If you've never taken this step and declared, I'm giving my life to following Jesus, you can do it today. As I mentioned, we have over 30 people already decided to follow Jesus by getting baptized this weekend, but it's not too late. You can make that decision today. We're ready for you. You can still get baptized today. I want you to hear from someone who made this decision recently. Her name is Chloe. A few weeks ago, she decided to accept Jesus' offer of friendship and get baptized. Take a look. My name is Chloe Wackendorf, and I've been attending River Glen, Pewaukee for about six months now. So I've been struggling with bipolar disorder for about two years now is when I officially got diagnosed and just dealing with that on like a personal level, just my day-to-day -day activities are just tremendously impacted. I've just really felt stuck and just had a lot of weight on my shoulders. So I decided to join Alpha and Alpha is a 10-week course and it has been going amazing. My faith has just grown tremendously and throughout my studies, John the Baptist just kept popping up. We were sitting here on Alpha Saturday, and I brought it up to our group leader, John Howard. I just said, hey, John, I've been seeing John the Baptist everywhere. And he's like, Chloe, I think this is your time. And it truly was. It truly it was. It was the most amazing experience. After being baptized, I felt free. I felt that all of my sins, anything that I've ever done throughout my whole life has just been forgiven, it's been washed clean, and I'm now able to start new and be who I am truly am meant to be. I think God has really big plans for me, and just being baptized and starting new, it just allows me to just feel free and forgiven, and that I'm just stronger than ever. You know, I definitely regret lots of things, and just knowing that Jesus is there to save me is just the best feeling in the whole world. For anyone who's on the fence about being baptized, I would strongly suggest you to go do it. You will feel so free like I have. I feel like I can tackle the day, I can tackle the world, and I know that God is there by my side leading the way through everything. Isn't that a great story? I really appreciate Chloe sharing her story and Taking that step of, uh, of uh, uh, baptism, I'm going to quote her. She says, I feel free, washed clean, I'm able to start new, and be who I'm truly meant to be. Baptism is a beautiful and a powerful event. And uh, maybe some of you here who, who didn't plan on, on getting baptized, maybe you're, maybe you're thinking about it, but uh, maybe you have some questions. Maybe, you're, maybe here's one of your, 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 your thoughts right now. I didn't come ready for this. I don't have extra clothes. 
or a towel, no problem. At both campuses, Waukesha, Pewaukee, we got everything that you need. We've got a shirt for you. It's a, it's a cool shirt. You get to keep it. We've got shorts, towels, hair dryers, undergarments. We, we've done everything we can to make this moment possible for you uh, today. Sometimes in these moments, people will say, I was baptized as a baby. Do I need to do this. Well, Jesus commanded everyone who decides to follow him to get baptized. It's really important uh, to Jesus. And I would tell you that in the New Testament, people who came to, to faith, uh, every ex- in every example I know of, they, they always made their own decision. Now, making your own decision doesn't lessen the decision that your parents made for you many years ago. In fact, I think it affirms it because you're choosing for yourself what your parents wanted for you all along. Sometimes people will ask this question, I've been baptized as an adult, what if I feel like I should do it again? I don't necessarily think you need to do it again, but it can, it can be like a marriage vow renewal, a recommitment of your life to following Jesus. Maybe you walked away from Jesus, maybe you walked away from the church, maybe in your heart you feel like, I'm not really all in with Jesus, and you feel like, today I wanna go all in. I want to drive a stake in the ground and start fresh and declare my commitment to follow Jesus. And we would gladly do that for you today. Maybe you're thinking, I've got family and friends who aren't here who would want to see this. Well, we have a photographer who's going to take a picture. We'll, we'll get that to you. We're also going to record this on video. You can show the video of your baptism to your family and friends as often as you want. But here's the one I, I hear a lot. It goes something like this. Shouldn't I have my life together before I make a decision like this? And I want to be clear on this one. Absolutely not. In baptism, we declare, I can't save myself. In baptism, we declare, I'm not good enough. In baptism, we declare, we desperately need saving. I mean, you don't get cleaned up to take a bath, right? I mean, you take a bath to get cleaned up. In baptism, you just come as you are, whatever whatever scars, whatever story you brought here with you today, whatever sin you're holding, it on, holding on to, whatever you think it is keeps you from Jesus. It doesn't. There is nothing in this world that's so big that he doesn't uh, for, forgive. Baptism declares us a new creation in Jesus. And, and maybe God's calling some of you, and you're feeling it right now in your heart. You're feeling a tug. You're feeling a nudge. I don't think that's a coincidence. I think that's the Holy Spirit reaching out to you. And if you sense God leading you to take this step today, don't put it off. Jesus wants to have a relationship with you. Will you accept his invitation and open your life up to him? And, and then for those who, have already, who already have accepted that invitation, you've already been uh, baptized, I want to issue a challenge. I want to go back to the scripture, and I want you to see the sequence here. Matthew's working as a tax collector. Uh, Jesus says to him, follow me. And Matthew immediately begins to follow Jesus, but he also, he reaches out to his tax collector friends, his sinner friends. He invites, them, he invites all of them over to his house for, for a party, for a dinner, to sit around a table and meet Jesus. Here's my point. After you start following Jesus, you don't have to memorize a bunch of scriptures. You don't have to take a bunch of classes on how to share your faith. Those are all good things to do. But like Matthew... You can go ahead and start reaching out and inviting your friends to meet Jesus. And so here's the challenge. Who do you need to to welcome to your table? It's so easy to choose tables and sit with people who are just like us. But Jesus would reach out to people regardless of who they were 
or what they were done. Jesus would uh, sit with people and befriend people that no one else would accept. And so we might want to take a moment to confess to God the times that we've used that sliding sin scale to judge other people. And then let's commit to God together the next time we have the opportunity to love someone, to accept someone, to build a friendship with someone, that we're going to respond like Jesus. It might be a table at work or at school with a person or a group of people. It might, it might be inviting someone over to your house to sit around your table. When we sit with others and we reach across a social divide, we reach across a table we extend a hand that helps someone else find and follow Jesus. It might mean inviting someone in this room here to gather with us, sit next to you and, and, and gather with us. We've got a couple great opportunities coming up. We've got Easter coming up in just, in just two weeks. Easter is a time when people are highly receptive to an invitation to come to church. 86% of people start attending a church because of a friend, because of a friend. 86% of people, be that friend to someone. This Easter. And then two weeks after Easter, really excited about this opportunity. May 4th and 5th, we're going to have a great, incredible speaker with us, Jay Warner Wallace. He's a retired cold case detective from the Los Angeles Police Department. He's made numerous appearances on Dateline. He's going to share a powerful message on why we believe that Jesus resurrected. Great weekend, May 4th and 5th, to invite somebody to come uh, with you because Jesus is a friend. To sinners. It might sound simple, but it's incredible. The God of the universe, the God who created all things, he came and he sat at our table and nothing will ever transform us. Nothing will sustain us or empower us like, like his friendship. We belong at his table. There's room for all of us. And so today I want to conclude this message by giving everyone an opportunity to respond to the invitation of friendship and, and take our seat at Jesus' table. And so I want to invite everyone at, at both campuses to say this statement out loud uh, with me. So I want to invite you, would you please stand up with me? And uh, if you don't believe it, don't say it, but this, is, this uh, statement is open to, to, to everyone to repeat after me. Ready? I believe that Jesus died for my sin and raised from the dead and I accept him as my Lord and Savior. Greatest words that you'll ever say. And if you say those words and, and, and believe them and you've not already done so, Jesus would say, you're ready for baptism. Your next step is baptism. And so I'm going to say a prayer. And then I want you to stay standing during this next song. And if you came today planning to get baptized, or maybe you just decided a moment ago to get baptized. Either way, during this uh, next song... Uh, make your way to an aisle, and if people are in your way, just shove them out of the way, all right? You have my permission. And, uh, you know, make your way to an aisle. Go to the lobby. Right in the middle of the aisle or lobby, there's a table. There, there's a team of people there that have everything you need, and they'll help you get ready for your baptism. We'll do it a little bit later in the service. And uh, we've got a group of people in this room that are going to cheer and uh, cheer loudly uh, when you get uh, baptized because you're making the best decision of your life to follow Jesus. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for making it possible for everyone to sit at your table. Help us to, to follow the example of Jesus and welcome all people to our table. And God, thank you for so many people responding this weekend and how we're never too old and it's never too late. 
But God, I know we probably have people here today who have come to believe in Jesus and have yet to take the step of baptism. Give them that extra courage today. Move in their lives, move in their hearts to take this important step and say yes to this command that Jesus gave to every person who decides to follow him. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.